Again, Merry Christmas. Hope you all are ready, and uh, not just for Christmas, but what we're going to be looking at here this morning. If you haven't been with us in the last couple of weeks, we are doing a series you can see behind me, and what could we bring, what could you bring? Um, and we've been walking through aspects of the Christmas story by looking at Mary a couple of weeks ago. We looked at Joseph last week. This morning, we're going to turn our attention to the shepherds of the Christmas story. And our, our focus is, what do we bring a God who needs nothing? He has everything. But what does he want us to gift to him as he has gifted us his son? And we celebrate that at Christmas. And, and what does God want us to bring to him, not just in this season of the year, but what does he want us to bring to him every day of our life? And so if you have your Bibles with you or whatever you're going to be looking at to find the Scriptures, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1 and reading through verse 20. And as we get closer and closer to Christmas, it becomes a little more tense sometimes. And uh, we try to get everything figured out and everything on the calendar and the schedule and all the plans working out. And then you got to put in, you know, shopping for presents. And anybody still got presents to shop for? A few December 24th, you know, that's the deadline, so um, <laughs> just put that in your calendar for now. But um, <clears throat> we're going to look at this morning in the shepherds and what they discovered in, the, in what we call the Christmas story and what God was doing. Um, when I was in fifth grade, me and my older brother discovered a true treasure around this time. <clears throat> my brother, who is also a preacher, um, this is where I believe he learned the uh, talent of evangelizing, because he's discovered the treasure of where our parents hid the Christmas presents. And he came and proclaimed the good news to me so that we both could go and see these unwrapped presents and where they were stashed and to see what we were going to be getting. And we thought we had come across the greatest thing in the world. And so when Christmas Eve came uh, that year, because that was when we were going to open our presents uh, as a family, we all sat around the tree, and the presents were all wrapped, and we, uh, my family's tradition is to actually read the passage we're going to be looking at this morning every, every Christmas night before we open presents. And uh, my brother and I not only discovered where the presents were hidden, <clears throat> but we also discovered how we could ruin Christmas and get in trouble. Um, as we began grabbing the presents that were unwrapped, some reason we thought it was a smart idea to thank our parents for the wrapped gift before we unwrapped it, so before we should have known what it was. And so I remember that that year was the year I got a Game Boy. And that, I mean, Game Boys, they were like bigger than our cell phones today, but I remember picking up the box. It was wrapped, and it looked beautiful. My parents, I knew, were excited because it's something I really wanted. And before I even tore any of the paper, I said, thank you, Mom and Dad, for the Game Boy. And then I unwrapped it, and I thought I was clever. And we proceeded to do that with every single present that year, me and my brother both. We found out that my parents did not think we were as clever as we thought we were, nor that it was very cute on Christmas. So they decided, after we had unwrapped everything and everything was still in their box, that we were going to be grounded from our Christmas presents at Christmas time. And we could not touch our toys, touch any of the things we got that night until the next morning. And here is the problem with that is because we had to travel to go see my, my mom's parents, grand, granddad, and my, my dad's family and grandma, and, and we were going to leave very early the next morning. So their grounding of us not being able to touch it until the next morning actually meant we weren't going to be able to touch it until we got back 
from all our Christmas traveling. But this is why I remember I got a Game Boy, because I could take the Game Boy with me. And my brother thought that was the most unfair thing in the world, because I was the only one that got to actually play with the toy that I got that Christmas. Our series is looking at the Christmas story and what can we give God, not just at Christmas, but every single day of our life. And we're going to turn to the shepherds and what not only they discovered, but what they brought when they discovered the greatest treasure the world has ever known in the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so the goal is to see what ordinary people, people who wrestle with sin, can bring in celebrating the birth of our Lord and Savior. We're going to begin in chapter 2 of the Gospel of Luke. Luke is after the Gospel of Matthew and before the Gospel of Mark. And beginning in verse 1, the Word of the Lord says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with his mother, registered with, his, with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Verse 8, And in the same reason, region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you and we would just ask that your spirit would speak to our hearts, that you would open the scriptures and give us an understanding that we may not have had before. Lord, just draw us deeper into your presence. We thank for this time of year where we get the opportunity to pause and remember what you did and why we celebrate Christmas. Father, you stepped out of the heavens to save us sinners to declare that we can become your children and be given eternal life. So, Lord, let us fall in love with this story once again. Let us know what sort of heart we need to have as givers. And, Father, I pray for the individuals here this morning that do not know you as their Lord and Savior. Maybe they've heard about it time and time again, but they've yet to make it their personal confession of faith. Father, your Spirit would speak to their hearts in a way only you can. You would draw them to yourself. You would understand their need for repentance, their need to ask for forgiveness and to receive eternal life this morning. So use me as an instrument of your righteousness, but don't let me get in your way. Let nothing come out of my mouth that is not your will. 
We pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in each and every heart, in each and every life, each and every family in this place. And that you alone would continue to be glorified. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> so when, when I think about shepherds, uh, one shepherd that tends to come to mind the most is, is David from the Old Testament. Um, he seems to be one of the more popular ones in the Old Testament. And, and one of the more popular stories concerning David is found when David takes on Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And so the story sets up, you don't need to turn there because you'll understand why we're going there to come back to these shepherds here. The story sets up that David's father sends him on an errand to go see his brother, see how they're doing, and take some supplies to them. And as David arrives to where the Israelite army is, he comes across what has been happening for the last several days or weeks, that the Philistine army sat on one hillside, and the Israelites sat on another, and the Philistines brought out their mighty champion by the name of Goliath. Good, we know the story. So Goliath is out yelling at the Israelite army to send out their best, and they'll duke it out, and whoever wins, that's which army wins. Well, as he yells out to the Israelite army, the Israelite army continues to hide. And David shows up simply running errands and sees this spectacle that is happening, and he becomes enraged. He wants to know why in the world this Philistine is, is calling out to the army of the Lord and defying God. And so he says, as he walks through the camp, look, I'll take him on. And we have to keep in mind, in this story, David is most likely between the age of 12 and 16. He is not a veteran soldier. Goliath is this massive man ready to battle. And David's like, you know what? I know God is for me. He is with me. I'll take this guy on. I'll end this thing today. Well, Saul, who's king, catches wind of it. King Saul, we're told, stood a head taller than all the other Israelites. He should have been the champion on the battlefield that day. Well, he catches wind of it and calls this young lad to himself. And asks, now, what have you been saying? And he's, he again says the same thing. I will take this man on. I, he, he is defying the army of God, and I will go, and I will, de- I will defeat him. And David has courage because it's based upon the experience he has had as a shepherd. Now, Saul is not as confident in David, but this is what David says to change his mind. Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and I struck him and I delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, speaking of the lion or the bear, I caught him by his beard and I killed him. And so I bring that up, taking David's experience to help us understand the life of a shepherd that we find here in Luke chapter 2. Shepherds were the very first people outside of Mary and Joseph that God declared his son had been born. God did not declare this to kings. He did not declare this to the religious elite. He did not declare it to governors or even emperors. He declared it to shepherds. And here's the thing about being a shepherd. A shepherd was not a job that was highly sought after in this society. If, if we had shepherds today, our kids would never say, when I grow up, I want to be a shepherd. Shepherd had long hours. They were constantly in the elements, whether it be rain or cold or heat. They were constantly having to be alert and guarding the sheep from predators and had to be willing to defend the flock with their life. A shepherd's responsibility was to watch over someone else's property. And if something were to happen to the sheep that they were watching over, the shepherd would have to take the loss from their own pay. 
They were frequently on the move, known as a nomadic type of people. The only time they wouldn't be moving so much is if the Jewish Passover had come. And then they would take this flock that they risked their lives for day in and day out towards the temple so that it could be sacrificed. The shepherd's job consisted of high risk and very low reward. Yet we come to what we know as the Christmas story. And here we find the God of the heavens, the creator of all things, the architect of salvation, comes first to lowly shepherds the overlooked and the outcast. It reminds us of something that we need to bring before God. We need to bring our lowly spirit. These guys were shepherds. But the heart of a shepherd is exactly the heart that God is looking for us to have. Shepherds knew they were shepherds. While they were out watching the flock at night, people would be at home in their beds, asleep under a roof, See, God doesn't want us to bring our pride, but he wants us to bring our humility, our lowly spirit. Scripture actually teaches us that pride is a barrier to seeing, hearing, and knowing God. And we can be prideful in who we think we are. There's times we can be prideful in what we think we've done. We can be so prideful to the point that when God tells us to do something, we can be so prideful to think that, well, I don't really need to do that. You know, that's not exactly what is for me. Here's a question for us. This last year, just think for a second. What would you say was your greatest accomplishment this last year? Your greatest accomplishment in 2021. If you're struggling, then what's your greatest accomplishment you think you've had in life? Just think it. Maybe you got a promotion. Maybe you never got COVID. That seems to be an accomplishment on the news, isn't it? Maybe you got married, had a child. Maybe as a student, you were an all-conference athlete or an all-state athlete. Maybe... As a student, you got straight A's and you were on the honor roll. Maybe you received the full ride scholarship to the college that you wanted to go to. Maybe you started college this year. Maybe you finally got that job you wanted or you finally got out of the job you wanted to get out of. Maybe you finally went on that date that you've been so scared to ask that individual to go on the date with you. Maybe you went to that vacation spot that you've been wanting to go to for so long, or bought a new house or a new car. Maybe you lost weight this last year. Maybe your greatest accomplishment is you gained weight this year, right? We don't, we don't, that's not an accomplishment. Tried really hard on that this year. Maybe you got out of debt. Maybe you retired. Maybe you started a new business and it's going well. What was your greatest accomplishment this last year? And once you got it, Let's take our greatest accomplishment that we had in this last year, maybe in our life, and then imagine boasting about that accomplishment before a holy God. Can you imagine coming into God's presence and say, God, you're talking to the person who did this. And I think God would look at us and smile because he loves us and probably just tap us on our head because he's our father. And he says, wow, it's really great. I'm so proud of you. But you understand you're talking to the God who created everything out of nothing? Do you understand you're in the presence of the God who sustains all things 
in his creation? Do you understand that the things, the greatest thing you accomplished in your life or in this last year, you only accomplished it because I am the God who opened the door for you to accomplish it? You see, when we come before God, we can't have pride. There's no room for pride. And so we need to look at things through God's sovereignty and His holiness and His power. The Bible teaches us in James chapter 4 that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So here's what God wants from us. Psalm 51, 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Jesus said in the Beatitudes, which we looked at several months ago, that blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That means blessed are the desperate. Blessed are those who have nowhere else to turn but God. Blessed are those who know they have nothing in and of themselves except God. Here's the thing. The shepherds had nothing to bring to the manger except what? Their presence. They had nothing to offer. They were not rich. They were not educated. They were not well respected by their own own society. But what could they give? They could give their presence. They've been overlooked. They're frequently thought as thieves because of their nomadic lifestyle. But when they come before God, they had no bragging rights, just like we have no bragging rights when we come before the Holy of Holies. God says He wants a broken and contrite heart. Psalm 51, 17. What that means is he wants us to be shattered and crushed because we are aware of our sinfulness before his holiness. These shepherds were out in the fields. They were doing their jobs. We're told in verse 8 they were keeping over over their watch over their flock by night. And lo and behold, verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. This might come across as a little bit of a lack of reverence for the Word of God, but as I think about their response to the angels shining around them, it says they were filled with great fear. These were boys. These were teenagers. Some of them were men who had been kicked out of society, and a shepherd is the only job that they could find, the only job someone would give them. But here's the thing. They were hard. They were tough guys. They slept out in the elements, in the cold nights, in the rain. And I believe if we had an army we had to get together in this day and age, and no one wanted to join it, we would go find some shepherds. These were good old boys. You did not want them against you. You wanted them for you. You wanted them to be behind you and have your back. You definitely did not want to cross these groups of men. Yet I wonder in this moment when the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. You ever wonder how many of them actually wet themselves in that moment? That might be a lack of reverence towards the Word of God. But when an angel appeared, they were filled with great fear. And I bet as they look back on this event... They were so thankful that God did not send the whole heavenly host the first time. And even in the Christmas stories, we see that God will never give us more than we can handle. But in an awareness of who they were and what they were witnessing before their very eyes, we see the next thing we bring is we bring our reverence. The reverence the shepherds had was terror, no doubt. They were afraid, but the thing is when we are afraid which is what reverence is, we're in awe of whatever is putting that fear in our heart. 
You know, we used to, when I was little, we used to live in the Kansas City area. At least once a year, we would go to Worlds of Fun. Worlds of Fun, if you're not familiar, is a, is a theme park in that area. And the thing about going to Worlds of Fun's family, and I always look forward to going because it's always a cool thing to do, but my parents at that time were not roller coaster rider people. And I'm always amazed even to this day when my mom tells me she's ridden on roller coasters in Silver Dollar City with my nieces and nephews, and I'm like, really? Because she would never, my mom and dad would never ride roller coasters with me and my brother. But we would go to Worlds of Fun at least once a year in the summertime, and since they weren't going to ride, that meant I had to ride the rides with my brother. And there was one particular ride I can remember that was in Worlds of Fun that put complete fear in my heart, and it was called the Orient Express. Now, growing up in Kansas City, I didn't always watch the news, but I'd always seem to catch the news when they would tell me that the Orient Express has broken down once again, and people would be stranded on there. I mean, there were people actually have died on this roller coaster because it broke down in the wrong spot. And so my brother would have to build confidence in me to go stand in line to go ride this ride. And it was a long ride. It's not there anymore. I think they sent it off to Japan or China where, you know, they don't have as many rules. But anyway, so we're, we're walking up, and, and the ride goes over your head while you're waiting to get up to the, the depot to actually get on. And so you hear the screaming. You see the thing going upside down and taking these sharp turns, and you see how fast it goes. And I can remember standing there in line and just, like shaking. But my brother's like, oh, it'll be all right. You know, just close your eyes. It'll be fine. I can't remember how many times we actually got up to the depot and I saw the chicken exit and I would just sneak on out and I would make him ride it by himself because the ride put a fear in my heart. I had a reverence for it. I, I had an awe of it. I was scared to death. That's what we should have before a holy God. Yes, we get to enter into his presence with confidence into the throne room of grace that we might find mercy and obtain grace, but our hearts should be captured in awe of who he is, in awe of what he's done, in awe of what he continues to do. See, fear in Scripture is the proper attitude toward God, and it's often said to be respect and reverence or awe rather than fear. When was the last time we were in awe of God? Completely blown away by His awesomeness, His glory, and His holy. Maybe, maybe Christmas time is a reminder we need to just step back from all the crazy and focus on who He is. I believe there's not a person in this room that doesn't want to succeed in life. There's probably, I don't think there's anybody in this room who doesn't want to do well in life. Here's what God's Word says. It says if we want to do well in life and if we want to succeed, it begins in a reverence and a fear and a being in awe of who He is. You turn to the book of Exodus in Mount Sinai. You also find a story in Deuteronomy. God has just brought his people, Israelite, the covenantal people out. He's brought them to Mount Sinai, and his presence engulfs the mountain. His voice thunders from it. And the people of God, they see the mightiness of who God is and who has just redeemed them, and they become in such fear and such awe and reverence of this. They go to Moses, their, their leader, their stuttering leader, 
And they say, hey, why don't you go talk to him? Why don't you go see what he wants? And God sees his people's reaction to his presence before their eyes, and this is what God says. They are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they would have such a heart as this always to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. Then later in Deuteronomy chapter 10, he says, Oh, now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God? And to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and the statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Without an awe and reverence of God, we will never be obedient to him. We won't even give him the time of day. We'll be tempted to make God and the things of God something we talk about in conversations nonchalantly. We'll make God and the things of God something we do if we've got the time, but it won't be a priority. We will never, without an awe and fear of God, we will never allow God to inconvenience us in our life, and He will never become the number one thing. Fear is important in relation to God, but the Bible also says fear is just the beginning. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And so how do we get this fear? How do we get this reverence? Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. My son, anytime you read through Proverbs and you see that phrase, my son, even though it was Solomon writing obviously to his son, just hear your heavenly father saying, my son or my daughter. My son, if... You receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then, if you do all these things, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. See, to have a fear of God and a reverence of God, that means we as God's people must be in the presence of God, which means we must be in God's Word. We must know what God says. The Word of God is the voice of the Lord recorded down for us into eternity so we might know God and live a life pleasing to God. God teaches us in his word in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13, that the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. And how do we know what is evil? That word evil is speaking of sin. The only way we can know what sin is, is if we get into God's word and see how God defines what sin is. The Bible not only tells us to get a reverence for God, but what happens when we get it? Proverbs chapter 14, verse 26 through 27 says, In the fear of the Lord, one has a strong confidence. And his children will have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Proverbs chapter 22 verse 4 says, The reward for humility and the reward for fear of the Lord is riches, honor, and life. Who doesn't want that? But it begins with the fear of God. Turning back to Luke chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, we see what else the shepherds brought. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby living in a manger. We bring our excitement. Notice the shepherds didn't sit around. 
and talk about it. They didn't sit around and try to analyze it. They heard what was happening in Bethlehem, and they decided they were going to go with haste. That word haste in the Greek means they were zealously in a hurry. It brings images to mind for me when we're sitting around, and many of us probably did this a couple weeks ago, and the tornado alarms go off. What do we do? With haste, we grab our kids, we grab our pets, and we find a place of shelter. We don't sit there and, well, some of us dads go to the window, I'm sure, but most of us find a place to hide. We find a place to be secure and a place to be safe. This is the image of going with haste that the shepherds had. They had this alarming encounter with the angel, then the heavenly host, and they heard what was happening. They said, let's go, and so they zealously went in a hurry. Paul wrote by the power of the Holy Spirit that he was eager to preach the gospel. To be eager means to do it with so much excitement that it consumes one's mind that they can't not do it. Paul was excited to proclaim what God was doing and what God had done. Why? Because Paul understood in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Paul was just as excited to preach as the shepherds were to see. And that's what we need to be. We need to have an excitement about what God has done. These angels declared to these lowly shepherds what every Jew had been waiting to hear. You have to keep in mind here in the, in the, in the Gospels, between Malachi and Matthew, or what we call the, the, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Gospels, we have 400-plus years of silence. There were no new prophets that emerged. There was no new word from the Lord. And the people were looking and waiting. When is the Messiah going to come? When is the Christ going to appear? And now God is showing up on this hillside saying, He's here. He's here. Go see. The Prince of Peace has been born. He began by declaring to these shepherds, The long-awaited Messiah is now here. And reconciliation has begun. See, Jesus was born to bring peace. There, verse 14, on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. That word peace is, another word for that is to reconcile. Jesus Christ was born to be, bring peace with sinful man to holy God. That we might be brought back in harmony with the holy of holies. To reconcile, to have peace, means that when two parties are estranged or they're in a dispute, there has to be a change in the relationship. And so sin is why Jesus was born, because it separates us from a holy God. And sin is why Jesus came, and he came to take care of it, so we might be reconciled back to that holy God who created us in his image and his likeness, that we might have peace with him. In this excitement, the shepherds brought two more things. Verse 17. And when they saw it, real quick, the it is not referring to baby Jesus as an it, okay? The it is the sign that the angel said they would see when they go to Bethlehem. So when they saw it, the sign, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. So they brought their excitement, and then they brought their evangelism. We are to bring our evangelism Man, these shepherds, they were not highly educated. They were not the religious elite. They were not the ones people turned to to ask things about God. These were Jesus' type of guys. Look at the disciples. 
Those were Jesus' type of guys. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They were zealots. And they were referred to as Galileans, uneducated individuals. In our day, when you turn the book of Acts, aren't these men Galileans? What that would be in our days, aren't these men redneck, backwood individuals? I think many of us shy away from sharing the gospel because we feel like I need some more education. I need some more training. I need to learn more about what God is saying. But we see here from the shepherds, these men who were just out in the field, who were uneducated, who probably stunk like crazy. They started sharing what God had done, not because they were educated, but because they had experienced it. They experienced it. That's evangelism. Sharing what we've had have experienced in the love of God and Jesus Christ. And just sharing that with other people so they can experience. The shepherds experienced and what they witnessed and the evidence and the sign they saw, the message they heard and then proceeded to preach. We see the final thing we bring. Verse 20. And the shepherds returned. They went back to work. But they returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. We bring our worship. Worship is to bring honor where honor is due. When we glorify, they're glorifying there in verse 20, meaning they were clothing God and the splendor due His name. And this can be done through song. This can be done through prayer. This can be done through proclamation. God is moving and working. To praise there in verse 20 means they sang. And here's the thing, I, I don't like musicals. I really don't. I think I've seen one that I thought, oh, that's pretty, I, I think it was The Greatest Showman. I, I kind of got through that one. Oh, that was pretty good. But it had like Wolverine in it, so it made it a little better. Um, <clears throat> the Christmas story is a musical, though. It's a musical. The angels declared and shouted out in verse 14. The shepherds saw and then they glorified and praised God. It's a musical. So this time of year when Christmas, for some, becomes a time of headaches and tensions. Why don't we just stop? Whatever's doing that and just praise God. Give the glory due His name. Praise the God of all creation who stepped out of the heavens to rescue us from our sins. This is the gift of Christmas. And in response to this great gift and this great time of year, we get to give honor and praise because He's revealed it to us. It reminds me of an old Christmas song, and if you know it, forgive me if I sing it in the wrong key. <laughs> of course, I don't know if it's the right key anyway. Oh, come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. If you knew it, sing it. O come, ye, O come, ye, to Bethlehem. O come and behold Him, born the King of angels. O come, let us adore Him. O come, let us adore Him. O come, let us adore Him. 
Christ the Lord. Amen. These gifts we bring to God, not just this time, but every day. Humility, lowly spirit, irreverence, and excitement, evangelism, a heart of worship. Maybe you're here this morning, and in order for you to give these gifts to God, you must first accept God's gift to you, and that is salvation and the forgiveness of your sins. God's gift of salvation, which we call the gospel, the good news, the forgiveness of your sins, here's the beauty of it. Nowhere in God's word does he say you have to have it all figured out. You have to have your life all together, and you have to understand all the ins and outs of Scripture. God says it's a gift that's meant to be received. And so if you're here this morning, you've yet to accept God as your personal Lord and Savior. I'm not asking if your mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, or your guardian has done this, but you have not. Then this is why God has brought you here today. The Bible says we come before God, and the first thing we must do is we must admit to God that we are a sinner. Here's the thing, all of us are. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And so we admit, okay, God, I'm a sinner. I have things in my life I'm not proud of, things I'm glad that nobody else knows about. And in that admission of your sin, you then just go to the next part, and you believe that this story of Jesus Christ being born, the Son of God being born, is real. And you believe he was born so that he could die for your sin to take your punishment on the cross. And he did. And they placed him in a tomb, but he rose three days later, hallelujah, that we might have forgiveness. And all we have to do is believe it in our heart. And the Bible says to confess it with our mouth that he is Lord and he is our Savior and we are in need of him. If you're here this morning and you've yet to make that confession of faith, I'm going to be standing down here and you say, Pastor Mike, I need to be saved. Would you accept this incredible gift that God lays before you? But maybe you're here and you realize that all this stuff going on this season has really kind of distracted you from what it's all about. And you just need to turn your eyes back to Jesus. Focus on Him because that's what it's really about. I love the food. I love getting together with family. I love seeing the excitement on my kids' faces when they open the presents that Jamie and I have gotten them. But it's really about Him. So let's bring Him glory. I'm going to ask the worship team or whoever's coming up to come on up. I want to pray over us. This is time of invitation. I'm going to invite you to come. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for taking care of us. Thank you for being faithful in the times when we are not faithful. Thank you for your forgiveness, which never ends. Your word says you've removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. You've blotted them out. Lord, if there's someone here this morning, and you know, you know all things, if there's someone here this morning who does not belong to you, who has not accepted you as their Lord and Savior, Father, I pray that your spirit would do what only your spirit can do and bring them to a place of conviction and repentance and then change them into a new creation. Father, forgive us this time we did distract and did all these other things on our schedules and all the things on our plans and all these things that we got to do and be here and there. And we forget what this time is really about. You stepped out of the heavens to save us and declare to us that you love us. Thank you, Lord, for Christmas.
Be with us in this time of invitation. Let your spirit continue to move and continue to work. And we ask that you alone be glorified. Praise in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.